Hey, hey guys. <laughs> Welcome to Legendary. This is the podcast where we talk to you about cryptids and monsters and famous people and famous places and all the ways that they creep us out. I'm your host, Adam Bloor. And I'm Isadora Martindai, your other host who likes to talk about things that don't creep you out, as I'm going to prove today. Yeah, because you didn't talk about horrible Willow Brook. That's true. That was creepy. The creepiest one. All right. So as you may remember from last week, we are going to slightly do a double theme for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. We are going to do one Japan and one happy in each episode today. Japan is synonymous <laughs> with, like, upset or angry. They are pretty ass dark, mm. generally. They are. I well, actually love Japan, and it wasn't a dark at all as a country. No. But, but the tales can be pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Luckily, this one's a little bit... A little bit lighter on the on the darkness because it's not there's not a lot to reference. It's not quite as intriguing, or is this no, intriguing? It's it's, it's really, uh, Japanese culture really interests me. I know nothing about it, but I I really like the things that come out of that country, including the folklore, and it's a place that I would love to visit someday. But this is a nice sort of way to dig into a culture without having to like get really invested in it. Cool. So, You're up. Was yeah. you dark followed by light? <laughs> dark followed by light. Uh, so I researched the Gashidokuro. Oh, by the way, I am not a pronunciation guide for any of these Japanese words, uh, so please don't get too angry with me. That translates, Gashidokuro directly translates to starving skeleton or giant skeleton, so it's pretty obvious what we're going to be talking about. Okay. Um, it's a kind of yokai, which in Japanese folklore is a supernatural creature. Uh, it is unique to Japanese folklore. The word yokai in the kanji, which is written Japanese language, is made up of one character meaning bewitching, attractive, or calamity, and the second character is specter, apparition, mystery, or suspicious. The nice thing that I learned about Japanese language this year is that it's highly... This year, yesterday, while I was doing this research. (laughs) So this year, I guess, technically, is that it's highly contextual. I didn't didn't realize that. The written language, characters, obviously, from what I just read, have a lot of different meaning. And depending on where they are with other characters or even in the structure of a sentence or what, whatever their story. We tried briefly to learn a little Jap- Japanese mm-hmm. before we went there for a month. I know everyone, I know English is supposed to be one of the hardest languages to learn, <laughs> but I don't think that Japan is, can be much further Much behind. easier. It's, it's so interesting. I would love to learn more of it, but I do feel like the hardest part about it would be Figuring out how the context works. Yeah. My mom's best friend actually speaks fluent Japanese. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Leslie. Yeah. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, she lived there for a long time. Interesting. So if you do want to learn Japanese... Yeah, maybe I'll ask her. Probably an overly willing teacher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so back going back to yokai, uh, they can be malevolent or mischievous and often bring good fortune. So it's a mixed bag, like any spirit sort of story. Uh, I had a, found a quotation that says they're personifications of supernatural or unaccountable phenomena to their informants. Like everything we've been talking about, ancient people didn't understand the natural world, and so they gave it a face. It the yokai refer directly to a sort of mysticism or spiritualism in Japanese called animism, and it refers to the minoke or spirits, and they exist in everything. Is that where anime comes from? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think anime is just... From an, animation? Just animation, yeah. Okay. I believe. Don't quote me on this. Don't quote either of us on anything we say. Ever. Ever. So they, they're in everything. We we have them. Your teacup has them. Yeah. They exist. Okay. That, and that's when you look at like a list of Japanese spirits, 
There's like haunted teacups. There's a lot of like really interesting. Okay. There's a spirit that licks the oil out of lamps, which I think is really like specific and neat. And I kind of like that as an idea because it it has a lot of um, implications. You know, when the lamp goes out, it gets dark and things get scarier when it's dark. That's not what we're talking about, though. <laughs> so in each spirit has an emotion or a personality. And those two... Uh, and so the, the monarchy can be either... can be one of two variations. Okay. So there's a Nigi Mitama, which is a, a good... A quote-unquote good spirit. Okay. Brings good fortune to your family or your household or whatever. And then there's the Era Mitama, which can bring illness or natural disasters. The interesting thing about this is when a spirit appears in the natural world... It always appears as an Aramitama first. It always comes back as the, the sort of evil spirit for one reason or another. And they must be calmed before the benevolent side of the spirit appears, which is interesting. I don't, I don't know why that's the case. It sort of implies that every person who dies, at least in Western culture, has something unfinished. Because that's where all of our ghosts come from, right, is people who have finished business. And they're not mutually exclusive. Both parts of the spirit can exist at the same time. So there are temples in Japan that are built to the same people, same person in different like provinces. One appeasing the the, the evil spirit and sort of keeping yeah. it happy in there, and then the other one allowing you to offer things up to the good side of the spirit. Which oh, okay. is also interesting. Okay, so when we start digging into the Gasha Dekoro, which is the creature that I chose to talk about this week, it is a malignant. Yokai. It's not a. It's not one that you want hanging around you. Okay. I mean, it's mat. And there's a reason. It's a giant skeleton. Yeah. It's 15 times larger than a human, which means in the folklore they're like 90 feet tall. They're gigantic. Uh, they are said to be created from the bones of the neglected corpses of those who perished due to war or famine. Japan, I guess, has a well, oh. like most countries, has a history of of long bloody wars, uh, and the bodies that were left out in the battlefield. Their, their spirits come out, yeah. get all angry, and then if their bones also are collected enough, uh, Gasha Dokoro will spawn from that area. So they tend to hang out in big empty battlefields, big abandoned battlefields. Cool. They prey upon humans. Another reason you don't really want one hanging around you. Uh, they tend to come out after midnight. It says that they are thirsty for blood and they will often sneak up behind their prey, rip their heads off, and then spray the blood all over the bones. And then your soul, if you are a victim, will okay. be absorbed by the Gasha Dokuro. That's a sneaky thing, to be a 90-foot skeleton and be able to sneak up oh, behind somebody? You you wait. You wait. There's a reason they're so sneaky. And it's because they can turn invisible, at will. And there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. Another one of their superpowers? Indestructible. You can't, there, there, nothing in any of the limited folklore that I found suggests that you can do literally anything if this... There's nothing you can do about them. The, what you can do is hide. But even... But the invisible. Okay, so when they're approaching you, I should, I should have... Oh, okay. Maybe mentioned this first. When they're approaching you, you hear loud ringing in your ears. Oh, okay. Which is horrifying. Which is like, tinnitus sort of freaks me out anyway, because every time you have that ringing in your ears, it means you'll never hear that pitch again. But the idea of, of of hearing that and then just having a big old big old skeleton behind you, not not a big fan of that. No, that's pretty. pretty. But like like I said, the so the so when you hear the ringing, the best advice that I found is to hide. But sometimes that's not even fully successful or helpful to you because if this if the space isn't sealed or isn't small enough, 
the Gashidokuro can break itself down and come in as like a component of itself and get you anyway. Mm. So they're fairly unstoppable okay. creatures. Um, which is probably why there's not many legends about them, because writing a story about something that can't be killed is a bit like ich. Legends are supposed to teach something, generally, yes. is what we found. So that's, in, that's, that's something that I tried to go go into. Okay. Um, the origins of this creature, again, are corpses that do not receive proper burial rites, which is a pretty oh, common okay. theme in folklore across all um, all cultures, really. So the spirits, be, uh, the spirits are unable to move on. They become angry and vengeful. The bones become plentiful, and then they become this large creature. I did find that one of the ways that they will cease being is once the malice is exhausted. So once all of the anger that this creature is feeling due to its past life, uh, at some point that will all go away and it will cease being. Okay. But it sounds like, like I explained, or like I said earlier, when they kill you, they take your soul. So that's, just, that's, like fuel, that's like fuel to the fire, I'm guessing. Okay. So these things are almost like unending creatures. Unless they kill someone who's happy. Although I guess maybe in that moment, you probably die, your malice is yeah, probably... Ba- and also based on what I read about the animus and the brief cursory uh, study that I did that suggests that your spirit always comes back as malign, there's nothing that can be done about about this creature. I did find one bit of folklore um, that was really, really interesting about a a samurai whose name was Tyro no Masakado. Again, not a historian, not not fluent in Japanese. I am kind of a historian. I still wouldn't be able to pronounce it. (laughs) Uh, He was a member of the Kamataira clan, which was near the Kyoto region in Japan. Yeah. They dominated the Heian period of Japan, and that period exists between 70... 794 and 1185 CE. Okay. By the way, Kyoto, totally worth going to. The food is phenomenal. (laughs) Okay. And he led an insurrection against the central government in Kyoto called the Tengyo no Ran. It was a rebellion against the central government in Hitachi province, um, and he captured a governor there. Okay. Uh, He conquered two more provinces, the Shimotsuke, (laughs) <laughs> and Kazuke provinces, and he claimed a new title. Uh, I cannot remember what that was. I think it was just like like emperor of a bigger area than what I was emperor ruler of before, or something like that. Warrior emperor of God. Yeah, something like that. And he killed his uncle. This is a little. This is not majorly important, but it does sort of come to okay. his comeuppance because, yeah. because of this. So because he kills his uncle, that's like a huge no no. In most, in most, but like specifically in Japan, it's also a huge no-no anywhere. You'd think so. Let's just go with "Don't kill your uncle." <laughs> so he kills his uncle, and because of this, the centralized government puts a bounty on his head, which is unusual because they only mention him this bounty after he kills his uncle, not after he rolls into the region and conquers three provinces. Well, that's just war. Fair, but it's it's never described as it's described as a small rebellion. Oh, okay. Um, so they put a bounty on his head, yep. and 59 days later, he is killed by his cousin. The son of the uncle? Yeah. Meow. And so they cut his head off. Okay. And they take it to the capital. And that's the end of the rebellion. Okay. The insurrection fails at that point. Uh, and his... It, wait, what did I... Oh, sorry. I re- thought I read this as burned. Adam's fantastic notes <laughs> coming through again. I thought it said... I just can't read my own handwriting. I thought it said burned. It says buried. So his head is taken to the capital, and it's buried near modern-day Tokyo. Okay. 
So the implications of this uh, is it comes back to his daughter, Takayasha the Witch. Ooh. Yeah, his daughter uh, continues to live in his shoin. Don't know what that is. Probably could have looked it up. Go uh, with house. Yeah, it's pro- I'm assuming it's like a... Context clues. Yeah, I'm assuming it's a house and or like the little compounds that you see in, in portrayals yeah. of ancient Japanese culture. And she's a sorceress. There's actually a woodblock depiction of what she does. So in order to appease, or not to appease, but in order to avenge her father, she summons a doshikuro. And in some legends, she besets it on the army of people who are still coming into her into her father's okay. province and attacking his people. Yeah. But in the, the woodblock depiction, which is, exists and you can look it up, it's okay. called Takayasha the Witch and the Summoning of the Giant Skeleton or something. Very literal and very cool to look at. There is an inspector from the government who's coming in to look for more insurrectionists, and she summons the skeleton to scare him off. It's really, really cool. I, That's I, cool. I just like it. And this is actually the first instance of a Dashikuro in legend. Okay. And I believe the woodblock was carved in like the 1200s or something. So this is the first and only instance of Japanese like folklore that I can find. An actual story on yeah. it versus just I, it exists. Yeah, I will say that they became immensely, they're immensely popular now. They're listed in all sorts of creature compendiums from Japan. They're in anime, they're in mangas, they're in video games. But the actual only historical reference mm-hmm. was is... to this one to this one person, which but, is kind of nice because I was yeah. expecting to get into like a super depressing deep dive yeah. of a horrifying Japanese creature. Instead, just sort of nice big giant well, skeleton. Almost a Slenderman. Kind of, yeah, kind of. But the woodblock's real existence yeah. actually refers to this creature. Um, and I will say, <laughs> if we don't include it in the show notes, go look at the wood. Block I'm sure it'll go yeah, on our Instagram. Because it's beautiful. Just Truth of Legends. <laughs> yes, follow Truth of Legends at Instagram.com. Another interesting thing that I found was the the father. Uh, I think what's interesting about this is when I read this as a Westerner, Tyra, Tyra is what I would assume his name would be, but it's actually Masakado. Tyra is in relation to his clan, but whatever. So he was deified after his death. He became sort of a demigod. Yeah. Because people in the area liked that he had led this rebellion, but were sort of unwilling to do it themselves. Oh, okay. All right. So his Did the re- rebellion ever continue? Or- okay. and from what I read, those three provinces were captured. I'm not even sure if those got turned back over okay. to their original owners. I'm guessing they didn't. I don't know how that sort of thing works. Um, so he's sort of seen as a demigod. His head is, like I said, buried near Tokyo. You can still go visit that shrine. Cool. It's off of a, off of a highway, and people believe that based on uh, how the shrine is kept, will affect things happening around the area. So there were some instances of the shrine being slightly mistreated, and there were some like natural disasters near Tokyo. Okay. It's just that sort of like yeah, he was deified for a reason, and you want to keep the shrine well maintained yeah. in order to appease his spirit. And it is still, apparently, if you go to visit it, it is very well maintained. And he even has two more shrines built in in varying places around okay. Japan. What I thought was interesting was, since I didn't find a lot about this, I sort of wanted to look into why this was prevalent in Japanese culture. Couldn't really find anything. Besides the fact that skeletons, like in most cultures, represent death yeah. and and disease and famine. So that's probably why that is a thing. But there's nothing similar to this in Western folklore. 
Unless you would talk about it like the Grim Reaper. Okay. But the Grim Reaper is a thing that exists in ja- and similarly in Japanese culture as well. Also, oh, Grim Reaper is not usually violent. No, he just sort of comes and claims, doesn't he? He just... Yeah. He, he kills, yeah. but it's not... It's people who are dying or are dead already. It's not a torturistic no. kind of vibe. No, it's... In, I, I really just wanted to... Because what's interesting about this is they say that the, the yokai, these demons, exist because... You personify what you don't understand, yeah. but I don't know what this is personifying, unless it's just war. Okay. Which seems, unfortunately, a little, like, light coat, over easy, which is doesn't really satisfy my brain very much, but unfortunately, that's probably just the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it was something that um, was mentioned once. Yeah. It, do- it doesn't sound, like you said, it doesn't sound very fleshed out, which is interesting for what... Yeah. But it does mean that that opens it up for modern day people to include In, it into yeah. everything. So it is vague enough that it could be whatever you wanted it to be. That's awesome. Yeah, which is kind of cool. So maybe maybe we'll write a Gashi do Kuro story for an episode or something. Who knows? My total lack of creativity. <laughs> I was referring to me, obviously. Oh, yes. My my creative counterpart <laughs> in the corner. All right. Well, that was awesome. Yeah, um, like kinda... you said, not as near as dark as I thought no, it would be. No, 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 no. Which means we'll have to go super dark for the next episode. Yes, I'm going to be doing the Suicide Forest Probably of Japan, so darkest, I don't think... darkest... It's not going to be difficult, is it? No, I'm going to put a couple of trigger warnings at the beginning of that episode, actually, having had a look at what... Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I know, I have, like, a very cursory knowledge of that, and it's... So do I right now, because I haven't done my research, oh, but it's... it's hor- uh... Horrifying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's all right. talk about unicorns or whatever first. Not quite. We are going to talk about Pegasus. Because you guys have no idea who I am, but I am a bit horse crazy. I've had horses my entire life. And but I'm going to pick something that makes me smile. It's going to be something equine. A horse with wings. A horse with wings. All right. So real quick, I just want to point out that while we are talking about Pegasus today, which is obviously a Greek mm-hmm. mythology, it's not the only ancient culture to have a winged horse the oh here's where i butcher stuff that's fine greek's hard too no this is arabic oh that's even harder Arabic is the arabic (laughs) version of it b-u-r-a with a line above it q b-u-r-a-q I'm going to go with what you said and i have no idea what the a with a little line above it please send us a pronunciation guide the internet is hard is a creature in Islamic tradition that was said to transport certain prophets, mm. including Muhammad. Okay. Um, so they mentioned in the Quran. I am going to, I was saying, the three that I've picked out here okay. are actually three that at certain points I may want to investigate them oh, further. Because cool, cool. these are three that I just thought were really interesting. There's literally hundreds of flying horses in mm-hmm. various forms of mythology. But I figured that was an interesting one to do with Islamic traditions, the and I will learn how to pronounce these things before I do the real episodes on them. <laughs> Promise. Uh, Chomelia is a mythical wing horse that originates from Chinese classics and is commonly portrayed in East Asian mythology. The wing this horse is said to be too swift and elegant to be mounted by mortals. Okay. I went down a little rabbit hole on this, which is why I want to do a bit more on it yeah. to do with the Chinese culture that talks of a horse that can gallop a thousand miles in a day. Oh. And they've got like a statue of the red horse or something. So I didn't go down that way, but it looked really cool. Yeah. And then in Hindu mythology, and I am never going to be able to pronounce <laughs> this, so I'm going to spill it. 
U-C-H-C-H-A-I-H-S-H-R-A-V-A-S. Okay. No idea. <sighs> it's a seven-headed flying horse Ooh. created during the churning of the milk ocean. It is considered to be the best of horses and king of the horse. What's the churning of the milk? I don't know. That was as far as I went with that one. So now I've got Two. three. Yeah, three good horses. Really cool. Yeah. Myth ones to go after, though. I wouldn't suggest doing the third one unless you come up with a nickname. I really it. have to come up. Can someone please tell us how Uchuch. to pronounce? Uchuchu. Apparently, it's Sanskrit. Can you even find a pronunciation guide for that language? I don't know. But it translates as long ears or neighing aloud. Okay. You can come up with a nickname for that. So long ears. It's, <laughs> but I'm imagining whatever his real name is, is heavenly more sophisticatedly it would be nice lovely to, than yeah. just referring to this <laughs> best God of horses horse. and the king of horses as long ears. It sounds like a plot for a Disney movie. It does. <laughs> All right, but we are talking about Pegasus. Yes. I would also just like to clear up, by the way, that a any horse with a horn is a unicorn. Mm-hmm. You cannot have Pegasus with a unicorn, which drives me nuts. We're... Pegasus does not have a horn. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because a, a, a Pegasus with a, a Pegasus with a horn is a winged unicorn. Unicorn, yes, <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, um, which is I, the goofiest thing. Because in popular culture, often Pegasus has a horn, mm. but then it is no longer Pegasus; it is a winged unicorn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Pegasus is one of the most recognized creatures in Greek mythology. Always pure white. Very symbolic. Sometimes with a blue mane. <laughs> Thinking Hercules. Yes. Hercules. And it is the offspring. He is the offspring of Poseidon and Medusa. Okay. So. So Poseidon got out of the ocean. And, Poseidon. And Medusa, the the snake. The snakehead lady. Now, apparently, Medusa before the snakehead thing was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And she got raped by Poseidon in Athena's temple. Oh. And Athena got pissed at Medusa. Okay. So gave her snake hair. Oh. Because, you know, victim blaming. Right. Was Poseidon... Okay, this is where my 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 knowledge of Greek genealogy yeah. falls to the wayside. Was Athena Poseidon's daughter or Poseidon's wife? Or Poseidon's I think, sister? I think it was Poseidon. I think he was. she was Poseidon's wife. Okay, but she could also have been his sister, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's all um, a bit incestuous up there. So, Poseidon impregnated Medusa. And when Perseus decapitated her, mm-hmm. he... He and his brother, by the way, because Pegasus has a brother called Chrysor, Chrysor, mm-hmm. who is a humanoid. I mean, not a, a demigod, I guess, or a demigod, but it's literally got no more information than that on him. Like anywhere? He's not... There's no information on him anywhere else? Like, he kind of was born alongside Pegasus, and then Pegasus was way cooler, so everyone <laughs> was right about Pegasus. But he was like a human. Oh, And okay. Pegasus, was a, Pegasus was a horse. Interesting. It's Greek. I didn't know that. There are several versions of how... that. So they know how he was conceived, but there are several versions of how Pegasus was born. One is that... Oh, and his brother. Just assume when I talk about this, it's Pegasus and his brother. 
They sprang from the blood issuing from her neck as she was beheaded, similar to the manner in which Athena was born from the head of Zeus. Hmm. In another version, when Medusa was beheaded, they were born of the earth that was fed by her blood. And a further version holds that they were formed by the mingling of Medusa's blood, pain, and sea foam. Jeez. Greek birth sucks. Yeah. Which was also roughly how Aphrodite was born. Okay. When the foam created when Uranus's genitals were cast into the sea by Coronus. By Corona? Corona. <laughs> oh, Cron- oh, Cronus, the, the, the titan. Sure. I think. I realized my knowledge of Greek mythology is woefully lacking as I did this research. Mm. So, he's born. Yes. Cool. We're moving to a different person. <laughs> Bella Foran mm-hmm. was born in Corinth, and he is a demigod. Poseidon is his dad, too. Of course. Which makes him half-brother to, to Pegasus. Pegasus. Okay. And he he's a hero in the sense of the Greek word of, like... Went on a quest. Went on a quest, like, in the same breath as, like, Hercules and things like that. However, he kind of sounds like a douche. A big douche. <laughs> and he... Listen, I'm reading quite, quite a from Wikipedia here. His brave journey began in a familiar way with an exile. He had murdered his brother. Well, I'm sorry. If you start <laughs> off with your journey beginning with murdering your brother, at that point you're basically running. Who killed his brother? Or uh, Who killed who his kill- brother? He why, killed his why brother. Why did he kill his brother? Don't know. He may have also killed a shadowy, em- en- shadowy enemy. Um, and they exiled him for that? And he was exiled for that. So then, this is a common theme in Greece, which is that if you feed someone, you can no longer kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a name, and now I can't remember it, and I'm sure I wrote it down. But it's like a, it's like parlay or whatever. It was a yeah. way of dealing with people. Mm-hmm. So that if you fed them, you couldn't kill them. Yeah. So he ended up in someone's household, and... They couldn't kill him because he was eating their food. And they gave... So, okay, I'm going to read it out here. He ended up with Protus, king in Tynus, one of the strongholds of the Argolid. He, because he was a king, he cleansed him of his crimes, so he was forgiven. Uh-huh. And then the wife of the king thought he was cute, so, but he rejected her. So then she accused him of rape. Jesus. Um, the king obviously couldn't kill his guest. Oh, Xenia. Xena. So he sent him to another king with a message in a folded tablet saying, can you kill him when he gets there, please? A folded tablet? Yeah. How does that work? Don't know. He gets to this other king. The king gives him a meal before reading the tablet, and now can't kill him either. The comedy of errors. Uh, it's, it's Greek. It's a tragic comedy. Oh, no, yeah, right. That's what I meant. So, he's the one that sends him on a mission to kill a chimera. Okay. Living in Kara. Yeah. Now, the chimera is a monstrous fire-breathing hybrid composed of the parts of more than, more than one animal. 
In this particular depiction, they think it was a lion with the head of a goat protruding from its back and a tail that might end with a snake's head. It also breathed fire and was very quick Mm -hmm. and very hard to kill and had been basically rampaging through... I don't like chimeras. That's scary. Um, it, this podcast it, scares me. I don't want to do it anymore. There seems to be a lot of different versions of what a chimera could be. Mm-hmm. Primarily, this one, its biggest issue was that it was quick and could breathe a lot of fire. I know that we did a Harry Potter reference in the last episode, but isn't there a chimera in the fourth Harry Potter book? Like, I think so. In the in the maze? Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought so. And it becomes, it becomes a, a word just basically for a creature of mixed parts okay so uh, at this point it is the chimera Uh but now chimera means a mythological creature of mixed parts on a tangent here penny the elder (gasps) pliny the elder uh pliny the elder um pliny 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 Pliny. that's how the brewery that makes the beer called pliny the elder pronounced okay we'll go with that (laughs) identified uh, actually had a theory as to what the chimera really, like, in this period, what uh-huh. it was about. Um, there was an area in Turkey that had permanent gas vents. That They had about two dozen vents in the ground grouped in two patches on the hillside above the temple, approximately or near ancient Olympus. And the vents emit burning methane. Oh. And it's been there forever. Really? And landmarks of ancient times used oh. for navigation by sailors. You can still hike out there and see them That's now. really cool. So his theory is that actually the chimera was, was the, something to do with these gas vents, really which was the beginning of that. It's myth. weird that he was so smart about that and so wrong about the basilisk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But um, that was his theory anyway. Anyway. So. Half-brother guy. The half-brother guy, Bell. <laughs> we'll call him Bell. <laughs> Is told that he would need have the need of Pegasus by a prophety person to obtain the services of uh, Pegasus. He would need to sleep in the temple of Athena, which is also, yeah. I think, where Pegasus' mother was raped before oh, yeah. Pegasus was born. Was in a temple of Athena. While he slept, he dreamt that Athena set a golden bridle beside him, and saying, "Sleepest thou?" Prince of the house of Alios, come, take this charm for the seed and show it to the tamer thy father as thou make sacrifice to him of a white bull. Okay. Uh, the bridal was there when he woke up and he went off to go find Pegasus. Now, Pegasus was drinking at the Perian Spring. Mm-hmm. One of the things about Pegasus is apparently wherever he stamps his foot, the spring springs forth. Okay. Which I think is pretty cool. Spring, spring, forth. Uh, spring, spring, forth. Now, the Parian Spring of Macedonia was sacred to the Muses, and, per- and Pegasus is closely associated with giving the Muses their artistic talent. Oh. This spring that he created was apparently one of the ones that they drank from. Hmm. They, the little poem on this was, A little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Parian Spring. Hmm. Meaning the ones who drank it were, you were, overcome with inspiration inspiration and muse you would spend your entire life writing poetry basically that's horrible yeah also around these springs that he created were pegasitis um or pegasi is 
were basically nymphs that used to dance around there, and they were always associated with the springs that he had created. Hmm. Um, and it means from originating from or linked with Pegasus. And they're unique to him? Yeah. Huh. And and it's also another name for the muses are actually called Pegasides as well. I didn't know that. So it's all very much linked to the idea of Pegasus water, like these water springs and the muses are very much linked to Pegasus, hmm. which I didn't know either. I honestly... I thought he was just a horse. I honestly thought that he was ridden by Hercules because I'd just seen that film. Thanks, so. Disney. <laughs> Thanks, Disney. Um, Send us some money now. So, he... Bell goes and finds him drinking from the spring and manages to tame him and ride him. Mm-hmm. And he takes him to go fight the Chimera. A chimera. Couldn't harm the monster even while riding on Pegasus because the heat of the breath was so hot they Mm. couldn't even get that close to actually fight him hand in hand so apparently what he did was he got a large block of lead put it on the end of his spear yep following flew as quickly as he could straight at it Mm. and then deposited the lead block uh, the block of lead into the chimera's mouth or throat and when he tried to breathe fire the lead melted and suffocated him wow Pretty cool. Kind of clever. Yeah, absolutely. Then they went on a whole load of adventures. <laughs> the thing, this all started when he killed his brother. Yeah. So then Pegasus and him went on a whole load of adventures. And his fame started growing. Not Pegasus, Bell's fame started growing. And he started to, well, because as I already said, kind of a douche. He didn't take his fame lightly and started getting super arrogant and felt that because he had beaten the Chimera and all these other things, he deserved to become a god. Okay. So, he jumped on, he figured, I have a flying horse, yep. jumped on Pegasus, and tried to ride Pegasus up Mount Olympus. Uh-huh. Annoyed Zeus, because you can't, can't do just that. do that. And he sent a gladfly to sting the horse, which, I can only assume it was like a giant horsefly, and let <laughs> me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, I have horses, when those things uh, hear a horse fly coming, they're not very happy. And Pegasus bucked him off and he fell back to Earth. We're going to go back to Pegasus. Just a real quick note. He, Bell, um, landed on the plain of Allion where he fell into a thorn bush, causing him to become blinded. And he lived out his life in misery, grieving and shunning men until he died. <laughs> so, don't get too big for your britches. Don't yeah. try and become a god. It is. I mean, it, I was expecting, because you, when you said that he was described as a hero, but I guess heroes are often described as having those tragic endings, too. Yeah. And we're not necessarily meant to pity him in any way, I don't think, in that story. But it is interesting the way that that word is used. I mean, Greek, yeah, Greek word for hero means a whole load of different stuff. And actually, I will say that as the medieval era came around, he no longer suited the romantic mm, idea of it. Yeah. So often, Pegasus was joined up with one of the other heroes okay. to complete the battles. I think hence where the Disney Hercules thing came from. Even though in Greek mythology Pegasus was long before Hercules. Okay. They found him more suitable mounts. Yeah. Uh his his more suitable round riders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pegasus, on the other hand, was allowed up Mount Olympus mm. and had no problem leaving Veldadouche behind. <sighs> and he was stabled with Zeus's other steeds and was given the task of carrying Zeus's thunderbolts, along with 
a couple of other handmaids, shield bearings. He, depending on what you read, he went on other adventures with Zeus and kind mm. of stuff like that. But basically, because of his years of faithful service to Zeus, Pegasus was honoured by being transformed into a constellation, which is one of the greatest honours that the Greeks would have given them. What is a constellation? Like constellation of stars. Oh, constellation. I thought you said a consolation. And I was like, that's that's something that they give. Constellation. That's what they give you when you come in like fifth place. Constellation prize. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You gave a constellation prize. On the day of his catechism, when Zeus transformed him into a constellation, a single feather fell to the earth near the city of Taurus. Um, okay, real quick. He, Pegasus is one of 48 constellations. Constellations, you're right. I am missing out that team. <laughs> Listed by the 2nd century astronomer. Astronomer? Wow. You're good at English. Astro- <laughs> astronomer. Not only are you bad at reading Arabic, you also can't read English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very dyslexic. I'm doing really well right here. And he is one of the 88 constellations recognized today. Covering... 1,121 square degrees, Pegasus is the seventh largest of the constellations, Mm. and it is bordered by Andromeda to the north and east, and Cygnus to the northwest, and Aquarius to the south, and Pisces to the south and east. Mm. All right, so that is Pegasus the horse, but a real quick one, I'm just going to go modern day legacy of Pegasus. Mm -hmm. During World War II... Pegasus is an bell. Their image was mounted on the parachute troops of the United Kingdom's up in Sweden insignia. Mm. Obviously, the symbolism of arriving by air, yeah, and raining down. I don't. I mean, did they read the legend? Because he gets thrown off of that horse, mm. plummets into a thornbush. Yeah, it's a light blue horse on a maroon background, and this one. This is one of the reasons why. One source suggests that the insignia was deci- designed by famous English novelist Daphne du Maurier, who you're looking at me blankly, but is a very famous English writer. I believe you. So I thought that was interesting. Also, the maroon background on the insignia was the same that was on the maroon berets that they used to wear. Okay. And is actually why the Germans called them the Red Devils. Oh. And they still use the Pegasus insignia now. There is a place called the Pegasus Bridge which is in Normandy, which is where the Pegasus airborne troop actually managed to hold the bridge in 1944 during the Second World War. And they held it for a while, and it was actually one of the key turning points of the German Hmm. retreat. And it was renamed in 1944 the Pegasus Bridge. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks, history. That was just a random. <laughs> it's not like we're ever going to talk. It's not like we're ever going to talk about that particular instance again. No. But I thought I'd give the Pegasus parachute troop a little, a little love, little love for their their role in. What World happened? War II. Sorry to yeah interject, but when the the feather fell to Taurus, yeah, okay, Taurus. I'm assuming not a real city. Uh, it wasn't Taurus. It was Taurus or something. Or Taurus. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. Not a real place in this, or is that a real place? Tarsus. Tarsus. Tarsus, of course, I knew that. Okay. I don't know what I said. You said Taurus. I did. Like the yeah. constellation. Like the bull. Or like a bull, yeah. Uh, is that, that is a real place, isn't it? Yes. What is supposed to have happened with the feather? Don't know, couldn't find actually oh. anything else about that, just that it fell. They normally don't, I feel like they don't normally just say those things, do they? No, but I couldn't find anything about it. Mm, that's a shame. 
assume maybe a spring fan. Spring. Oh, probably. That's the and issue. And also, also like Pegasus was a demigod mm-hmm. by definition. Actually, I mean, depending right? on whether you yes, because Medusa was a gargamel. Well, yeah, Poseidon was a god. Was a god. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if he was an actual god. Yes, I don't think. Bell the douche was also a demigod by the same. Everyone's a demigod in Greek mythology, uh-huh. though, aren't they? I think Homer's a demigod. Yeah, he wrote some books. Why? Why was he awarded by being turned into a constellation? Like he could hypothetically, as a demigod, live forever. Oh, I, I think he to, was. I think he to, did live forever. He was immortal. Oh, Pegasus was definitely immortal. Okay, it just seems to me that like that's like that is a consolation prize to be turned <laughs> into a constellation. Maybe, but also maybe in Greek mythology, being turned into a constellation meant that for the rest of eternity, I think you it, would be looking. Yeah, I think it does imply that like you still the constellation doesn't mean you're frozen in place. No, you like he is like free to run across the yes. infinite. Planes yes. of whatever, and I think beforehand, theater. by the sounds of things, he was kind of Zeus's pack animal. He was a he was a pony. Yeah, he was, he was like Zeus's legitimately pony. <laughs> Zeus's pony. So he was still being ridden by by gods. He was still being ridden by gods. He yeah. was still a horse. And I, I, also, I'm imagining. So I, whenever I, I think of the Greek gods, I imagine them to be gigantic, like like uh-huh. sixteen or twenty feet tall. I'm imagining Pegasus to be like the a same horse. size as your horse. And it's just like I know. I have this really funny image of like of like a Zeus that's way too big riding a horse that's like just too small. Yeah, and I and I kind of have this thing which is Pegasus. Bearing in mind his full brother was human and could talk, you got to assume he had a way of communicating. I wonder if it was a telepathic or something. Yeah, you got to assume he had a way of communicating with. Because otherwise, I'm just people. imagining a horse with a human mouth, and that's very unsettling. Or he was the most frustrated demigod of all time <laughs> yeah. because he had constantly. no way of communicating and they all just rode him into battle constantly whinnying he's yeah. like well, I don't want to do this again god give me a break Zeus could you take the one saddle bag off yeah that's funny so I kind of think I think it would have been a reward I mean you know yeah I I, I do I do often forget that like and sometimes I do go and do say things like that just for comedic effect. Obviously, <laughs> sometimes they turn out not being as funny because if you three seconds of thought immediately made the joke die. But I do sometimes forget that like the constellations aren't to the Greeks like fixed in place, are they? They're, they're no. like still exist like in a natural world. Yeah, um, I I personally think also from our perspective, or certainly from mine. Pegasus is this amazing, mythical, untouchable horse that I would never get to ride. or yeah. Like, he is a, a god yeah. from a human perspective. Yeah, definitely. But from a god's perspective, he's, he's probably just a horse. <laughs> um, That's true. All right, so we know what we're doing next week. Yep. I don't know what I'm doing specifically, but I know oh, I'm not okay. doing anything dark or Japani. Okay. I'm thinking about doing another creature, another creepy creature, but I don't know from where... What culture or or anything yet? But now that we've been talking about Greek culture, I've kind of got that itch. Yeah. To do some Greek stuff. I tell you, it took me. I'm excited to do some. I realized firstly I was woefully unprepared for doing anything on the Greek mythology because <laughs> it's vast and I don't know that much about it's it. It's all interconnected too. Uh huh. Totally vast. Um, but it's also taken take taken me. Took. Wow, I think I'm tired today. Taken. It's. Took me down some routes that I'm really interested to go in, which are into the Arabic culture and and some of the Chinese classics. Yeah, those are really interesting. Because 
as woefully uneducated as I am about Greek mythology, at least Disney gave me some idea. And you love horses. <laughs> and I love horses. I'm really stoked as well that Pliny came up again in another episode. Yep. So maybe maybe I'll do like a standalone episode on him or something. Sounds good. At some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in to episode five of Legendary. Please click subscribe. That's the button that exists on iTunes, yeah. right? Yeah, um, rate and review. Yep, and if you haven't yet, go follow the Instagram. It's mm -hmm. the Truth of Legends. Yes, that Instagram. is right. And the website and the email is truthoflegends at gmail. So if you want to send us anything. If you want to rant at us for our poor pronunciation of things. Generally, my poor pronunciation. Oh, my gosh. I was, just, just, <laughs> just I'm done now. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye, guys. Bye.